0: Hi, you are now listening to The Secret Life of a Grad Student. I'm Megan. I'm Lo, and we are two grad students who want to share the untold stories of graduate students past and present. Hey everyone, this is Megan here and welcome to the show. I'm here with Sergey Biarski to talk about life balance.
1: Hi everybody. I'm uh, Sergey Boyarski and uh, I went to grad school at UC Berkeley, uh, Department of Bioengineering, 2009 to, to about 2015 or so. And right now I work as a research scientist at a company called Atreka.
0: Cool. How did you become interested in science and were there any early influences for you?
1: I think since I was pretty young, I was definitely steering myself towards like the more technical things in school. I've always really liked math seemed like really fun we like doing puzzles and things like that uh i actually didn't like science for a long time i was like oh you know math is is really the way to go until about high school where um
0: can i can i ask you what you didn't like about science
1: uh i didn't get it at first i didn't i didn't i think like most people, the, what I was learning in science isn't what science actually is, right? Because the, doing the scientific method is very different than learning the facts thrown at you. And right. so I was like, I don't care what it, the names of all the trees are until, and it took me a little while to figure out that like, you know, doing science is not knowing, being a scientist and not knowing the names, it's, it's more than that. And so right around high school is when like that shift happened for me is where I started seeing a little more application, I would say, of all the other things and seeing a little more what experiments were like or like what discovery meant.
0: Is there anything in your memory um, that you can speak to specifically about kind of understanding what an experiment was?
1: Oh, man. So, so the real like turning point, you know, so like I should say, high school is when I started getting interested in it. I went to college I put a major like in the, in the box that asked like, what major would you like to be like? Oh, you know, engineering sounds cool. Let's pass math and oh, I did well in biology. Let me put bioengineering. What the hell is that? Let's put it in. Um, Had no idea. I think like most people like what to expect until, uh, so what really the transformative moment was freshman year. I got lucky. A friend of a friend was working in a lab and they were like, Hey, we have some spots. Do you want to come in and see what it's like? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll I'll try it out. And about like three days into just washing dishes or whatever it was (laughs) that you do, I was like, oh my God, like I'm doing something that actually is advancing the knowledge of the world, right? I mean, obviously I wasn't actually doing that, but it felt like I was a part of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When did you start actually doing experiments in the lab? And when did you stop Uh, when you when did you go from dishwasher to experimenter uh
1: well pretty quickly on i think uh, i had this you know as with almost everything in life i got really lucky and so i was able to get into this you know lab it wasn't a big lab or anything but i was still very young in my education freshman year it was a biology lab and i hadn't taken anything beyond like high school biology but the lab was small, the PI was really into education. So he was like, yeah, come on in. And about, you know, a couple of weeks, the first couple of weeks were like, here's how you clean this, you know, read this. And then it was like, well, you know, why don't you help me pipette this or make the gel. So about a month in, I was starting to help out with experiments. I mean, I hadn't started doing my own experiments until probably six months after that or something. By the time everyone was kind of like, well, he's not gonna burn the lab down. <laughs>
0: Okay, so remind me where you went to college.
1: Undergrad, I went to UCLA, the the great little Berkeley. Go Bruins.
0: Did you have any mentors kind of between high school and college that sort of like influenced your decision to become a scientist and eventually do grad school and become a doctor?
1: I've had a lot of mentors along the way, and all of them taught me a lot of different things and you know, encouraged me one way or another. Um, One of the earlier times I remember just in high school, I was a pretty good student because, you know, my parents emphasized that a lot. And, but I did it kind of just like, well, you know, I got to do well in school. And one of my physics teacher, he he was one of the first people that's like, hey, you know, I noticed that, you know, you have, obviously you have interest in going to college, which I did. And he's like, you might, seems like you might even have interest in like pursuing something like a master's or something. And I, thought about that because my father has a master's in engineering and did related work and that seemed cool and then he said he looked at me he's like you know you should really consider you know going further you should really consider phds and things like that and i really had no idea what it meant and at the time as a teenager i was like man more years of school no thank you (laughs) but that was kind of the first seed in in, and that kind of encouragement again i came from a family that yeah, my dad is an engineer, but a very much applied electrical engineer, and not any kind of like I would say discovery work. Mm-hmm. So that was the first seed of like getting like even more advanced in my education and doing that kind of stuff. And then throughout college, it was many of my mentors were you know either professors that I had, or um, occasionally some students even even in my kind of in my class. I was lucky, I think. Our department was very small it was still very new at the school and the class like that what is I'll date myself the class of 2005 UCLA bioengineering was like 20 people <laughs> but uh, we we all kind of had to take the same classes and we we're all figuring out this brand new major along with the department um, and the the peers were really amazing like, not Nowhere near for the first time, but I was just kind of surrounded by very smart people that were all super motivated. So I was like, well, I better, you know, do something with myself here. Otherwise the cute girl won't talk to me. And I ended up marrying that cute girl. So I really had to (laughs) do it.
0: Did you go to graduate school right after you finished college?
1: Yeah. um, Like I said, kind of relatively early on in college and undergrad, I knew, you know, I really wanted to graduate school. I really wanted to do the, the next thing I wanted to have like this freedom to explore and innovate and try, you know, to discover stuff. And so I was like, right, PhD is where I seem to be to get it. And later on, I figured out like, you know, with it comes potential, you know, career growth and all of that. So I wanted to go right away. And I kind of, you know, I made sure I did all the things that would kind of get me there. And so I went right away.
0: Okay, cool. I think we're gonna kind of mosey on over to our series subject right now since we've gotten to know you uh, a little bit. So can you tell me before we get started, um, no problem. just um, tell me where you went to grad school and uh, whose lab you were in?
1: I went to grad school at UC Berkeley. Well, I had a joint program between UC Berkeley and UCSF, but I spent almost all of my time at UC Berkeley. And the lab that I was in there was uh, mm-hmm. Danielle Tolman-Ursek's lab. Who is now at Northwestern
0: University? Can you tell me a little bit about the work culture in your graduate lab? And by that, I kind of mean like, was it an environment where everyone was constantly working? Was everyone just really, really mellow, kind of had that California attitude? Or was it sort of a mix of the two? And this can be referring to both the mentor, your mentors, driving the culture, or like the students in the lab driving the culture.
1: Yeah. I, I'm one of the few students that, well, maybe not of the few, but I'm one of the students who are looking back on it a couple of years removed. I really enjoyed my time in grad school, you know, overall as a whole set. Um, Megan was there when I was doing it and I'm sure she can attest that wasn't always the case, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I liked uh, grad school as a whole and a big part of it was kind of the lab culture that I was in. So Danielle, my PI um, started in The school, she was an assistant professor, she was just starting out as well. So she was kind of doing her PI journey as I was doing my grad school journey. And uh, she had a couple of students already. She'd been there a couple of years, but really she was just starting to expand the lab. And what that meant is coming into that lab, as opposed to some other labs, everyone, all the students were kind of still young. There wasn't that already, you know, kind of architecture of there's the fifth year, there's the fourth year and third year and so forth. It was everybody, oh, like one or two years removed at most. Especially what I was starting.
0: What, like, what number student were you for her?
1: I was technically number four, but really number three, because one was kind of joint and okay. adopted.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, keep going.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and Danielle was also really, I think she's someone who spent a good deal of time thinking about this before starting her lab, about what kind of culture she wanted and how she wanted to do it, which I appreciate a lot. And I even, I, I even figured this out as I was doing my PhD. Like I appreciated it even back then is that she, she made sure that at least with the first set of a good number of students that everybody meshed, everybody worked together and the culture kind of worked out for everybody. So that's, I, I really enjoyed that part. Uh, what, what it meant in terms of culture though, I think I mentioned before that like going into undergrad and being surrounded by smart people was very motivating. Uh, going into grad school was also motivating and then very humbling at the same time then not only was everybody smart, but everybody was smarter than me <laughs> by far. So um and then and then these assholes for lack of a better word were also like really hard working. <laughs> so it was like, oh my God, you guys are crazy. Uh, so <laughs> the culture was very much you work. Like you're you're here for grad school and you're gonna work. At the same time it was um you know Danielle didn't put that much pressure, for the most part, except for a few deadlines here or there, whatever, uh, in you know, succeeding or doing something specific. It was more like, get your stuff done, you know, plan out what you need to do, get it done, we'll talk about it. However long it takes you is how long it takes you. And if, if there's a problem and it took you longer, that's fine. So the hours were flexible, but numerous. <laughs> and again, not because it was mandated, but mainly because kind of everyone in the lab encouraged everyone kind of led by example at the same time and everyone played off each other and was like oh man i'm getting a little tired i could maybe start this thing or maybe i could do it tomorrow but uh autumn's over there and this and she's <laughs> running the same thing for the fourth time all right i can at least do like another set
0: uh if um, you can remember how many hours would you say you spent in a lab in a day or in a week
1: uh yeah it really depended there were definitely times when i would come in for four or five hours three of which was just me browsing the internet and just be like fuck it I'm going home
0: and by the internet um, you mean like reddit or like doing oh videos. yeah yeah
1: like google and whatever like youtube videos <laughs> okay. um, there, there were some of those times there were uh you know more than one time where I slept over in lab it's just like it didn't make sense to go home for three hours to only <laughs> come back yeah or or and there were times you know uh, I'd say, you know, on average, it, was, it wasn't it was too bad. I'd say maybe 50, 60 hours a week, kind of an average thing, which... Not so bad. I, yeah, right? My, my that's,
0: friend who works in accounting, that's about as much as she works, but she gets paid a lot more.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely accounting, especially around tax time. I, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and even right now, uh, uh, maybe I work a little less. I certainly get a lot more done now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, there are there, Many, many times where I'd come in, you know, I, I like to wake up early, or sorry, late, the cool. opposite of early. So like I'd come in at like nine to 10, but I'd stick around till nine, 10 or later.
0: Gotcha.
1: But kind of the other side, as I was mentioning, of the lab of everyone kind of being on the same page, everyone being, for the most part, getting along with everybody else. We would often, you know, come seven o'clock, be like, hey, whoever's in the lab, you guys want to grab dinner, do that. Some people would go home. Some people will come back to the lab. Um, So it was, it didn't feel like horrible to be in lab. Just kind of stayed with your friends. And after 9 p.m., the metal music came on. And
0: (laughs) it was a party. Uh,
1: No, it never was a party. (laughs) (laughs) It was always (laughs) by Petty, but but a Um, a little bit better.
0: (laughs) um, Okay, uh, next question. If you can remember it, what was the most stressful experience you encountered while you were in grad school
1: yeah the hardest thing for me and i also don't love this story because because it was my fault and i feel like an idiot
0: that's the best Um,
1: no it's not even like embarrassing it was like oh man sorry like what were you doing You child (laughs) um after like i didn't take my rotations as seriously as i should have i thought you know, like I'll do rotations, I'll pick a lab, and and it'll be fine. And I I really don't think like I put as much effort as I should have in terms of researching availability, making sure that that was available in any lab that I rotated in, also being like on top of asking the professors like, hey, can I join your lab? Mm -hmm. Kind of waited until too late and come end of first year, I didn't really want to join the first lab I rotated in. It was a little too big for me, a little too diverse. The second lab that I rotated in had no spots, no money really for students. And the third lab, the PI kind of promised two other people the spots before I asked. And then he was like, look, I can't handle three students this year. And so I was like, oh, so I don't have any labs I can join. What happens then? I don't know. That was pretty scary. Luckily. There's infrastructure in place. The the professors that I rotated with they were they were good. Like they were like, hey, let me help you out. Uh, they put me in touch with Danielle, who was outside of my department, and I didn't really know much about her. And then I went to her lab and got again. This is one of those times. I think this happens a lot. Like you just get lucky, right? right.
0: Sometimes
1: you get unlucky, and sometimes you just get lucky. And I got lucky in that that fourth lab. You know, you're supposed to do three rotations. I'm on my fourth. Better get some <laughs> money because they're gonna stop paying me. And um, the lab was perfect. And the PI was perfect for what I needed. And and she was like, Hey, you're a good fit. And I was like, Oh, thank God. Uh, but that that time between finding the lab and, and certainly like, you know, just kind of being out of options and really for the first time coming to like this realization that there's a chance that grad school will not be the thing I'm doing for the next four or five years. Which is, you know, before coming in, I thought that, okay, that's pretty settled. I got accepted, I'm doing this, I'm I'm good. That was very stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were other stressful times. Studying for quals was stressful. Writing my thesis was stressful. Finding out that uh, a paper was a, a journal article that my PI signed me up for was due a month before she thought it was due.
0: <laughs> oh my God, can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh,
1: yeah. yeah, it was. Um, I was, I think, fourth year, kind of finishing up my fourth year, so getting ready to like, kind of finish up all my projects. I'm like, I have one last project going on. Thinking about thesis and all of that, maybe at a fifth year, somewhere in there, fourth, fifth, I think. Either way, I was a senior student getting ready to finish up. I came back from some conference, like, hey, uh, so-and-so from such-and-such review journal, uh, you know, invited me to write a review. Um, Why don't you write it? I was like, great, yeah, sure. And I was like, you know, review, it's not really much. But I'm like, okay, it's an intro, it's my intro chapter to my thesis. Right. I can get away with all that reading, all that citing of other people, stroking their ego, and I'll be done with it. Two birds with one stone. She's like, yeah, you know, do April 30th. It was probably around December at that point. She's like, don't worry about it. You know, start reading literature. Let's meet back in like early to mid-March to figure it out. Yeah. And I was like, okay, sure. So, you know, the first two weeks I did a lit search, put it into my folder of like papers to read. Didn't touch it for two months. Right. Uh, kind of came back. It's like, okay, now it's time to do some more serious work start to do an outline Kind of figured everything around like okay um, meet with my PI uh, Early March I'm thinking again, it's due at the end of April uh, The day before we're supposed to meet to talk about it. I go and I find I go online I'm like okay What are the requirements for this specific journal, right? And I look at all the requirements and like they're like if the issue is coming out at this point point. This is when you need to submit your articles by. And I knew when the issue is supposed to come out. And I go, let me do my math here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, one, two months. Well, that's not April. That's March 30th. Huh. So OK, fine. Well, no, nah, that's got to be April. This is just the general guideline. I go to meet my PI, and, she tell, and I like, hey, you know, I looked at the website, and, she, and they say that to do it a little later. Oh, or sorry, it's do a little earlier. And she's like, oh, are you sure? No, it's probably not right. And she's like, let me check my email. And then she checks her email, looks at me, and like, yeah, it's due March 30th.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So I was like, okay, so you're telling me I need to you know, write this review in one month instead of two, and you know, I have all these other things. that you know, I've kind of planned my time out so that <laughs> I, was, I was already going to procrastinate, and two months was like my deadline for procrastinating. <laughs> so that was a very hastily re- written review article. <laughs>
0: Okay. So we've covered your stressful experiences and why grad school is stressful and maybe like the need for an outside hobby. So what was your outside hobby in grad school and how did you find it or how did it find you?
1: Yeah, I had a couple of what I'd consider kind of hobbies. They've morphed over time. One was kind of gaming, which God, it's like, oh, okay, everybody plays video games, especially, you know, some 20-something-year-old guy. Uh, But it transitioned, and I'll kind of, I think I'll talk about that story as a whole, because it was an interesting transition for me. And the other hobby was uh, bicycling, actually. And both of those things, in a way, found me. So with cycling, what happened is I just moved to, you know, live near campus, found some housing that was actually affordable in the Bay Area, which meant I wasn't right next to campus. So, you know, I had to get to campus one way or another, and and buses are fine, but take a while, and California weather is pretty decent, so cycling is a great way to get to it from campus. And so I started with, you know, okay, I better get a bicycle. You know, I used to ride a bicycle when I was a kid, hadn't really ridden for a long time, and then I started riding it, and I was like, man, I remember why I liked this so much when I was a kid. It was just really fun going, being able to go somewhere relatively quickly, but kind of see the journey on the way uh, was really great. Plus it was some exercise, which I certainly could use back then and probably need to do more now. <laughs> so I kind of got into that and more from, okay, I, I need to go to and from campus, to and from work, so to speak, from my commute, to like, well, it's the weekend, I'm a little bored, the weather's nice, maybe I'll go writing somewhere else, and go a little further, farther, where's my grammar. Um, and, <laughs> It evolved a little bit over time, and by the time that my uh, fiancé of the time and I moved in together and I had to live over an hour away from school. I would take public transportation and finish the last mile of the commute on the bike, but come of the weekends we lived near some really nice hills that were fairly abandoned. And it was one time I was like, oh, maybe I'll go riding there, and it was gorgeous. And I had absolutely no cardiovascular ability. So I died on my way up the hill (laughs) to like get off the bike and just like breathe there on the road um, as I'm enjoying like this great view. And of course, a at least 65 year old grandpa, you know, passes me by leisurely on his bicycle. And I was like, ooh, okay. (laughs) Let me me get a little better at this. But um, that was kind of my alone time. It was a really great way uh, to see what I otherwise would not see either by walking or driving in California, which can be very, very pretty. And it was also a great chance for me to like, you know, like I said, get some exercise in, but just be by myself with just either easily attainable goals, like I'm going to go this fast in the stretch, or I'm going to go climb that hill or, you know, see this road or whatever it is and just do it and nothing else going on. And, you know, when you're out of breath and you're panting and you're like, okay, just got to get up the next hill, you're not thinking about work. You're just thinking about right leg, left leg, right leg, left leg, Um, right? And and you're just like, okay, just a little more, just a little more breathe and that kind of stuff. And it was very clarifying. So that by the time I would come back from my ride, even if I was tired, I I felt like I took a nap or just... Felt, it felt easy and it's like okay let me go back to work now and you know as, as with all things that clarifying feeling just like opens up new avenues of thinking new ideas just lets you really look at things from a different perspective even if you weren't actively thinking about it
0: can you tell me a little bit about the gaming
1: yeah the gaming um I always enjoyed, it. and uh this is where my roommates were really kind of responsible for making a deviant out of me <laughs> um, at first it started out you know, with just a little bit of video gaming, and then it went into Friday night board gaming, and then pretty soon I was doing hardcore gaming on a tabletop.
0: What is hardcore gaming?
1: The, the kind of things I had to do to get my fix. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So yeah, it started out <laughs> a little bit of video gaming, and as I said, board games, which we would do Friday night, there was at first my roommates, which was two other uh, guys, We started playing some casual board games, Settlers of Catan or something. And then one or two more people joined us after, you know, some discussions. And at some point we got into risk and that meant that we would start playing at seven (laughs) and finish playing at 5 a.m. If then. (laughs) And uh, my girlfriend and I lived apart. We would see each other on the weekends. She would come over and come like 10 o'clock You know, we'd be playing. She might even join come 10 o'clock. She's like, okay, I said, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Uh, And then I'd be like, okay, maybe I have two more hours. (laughs) And two more hours would turn into four hours. Um, And yeah.
0: I'm going to ask you one of my delayed questions now, because I think Mm -hmm. that it might be relevant. Did the lack of sleep from playing Risk until 10 a.m. ever negatively affect your grad work?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell me about, if you remember anything, can you tell me about a specific time that it did?
1: Um, Well, like I said, my my hours were somewhat flexible, so there were definitely times, I mean, I was just not quite as good at time management. I was also in my early 20s, which meant that I could stay up all night and be functional the next day, um, which stops being the case. (laughs) But (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of it translated into just, you know, I was like, I'm having fun, I'll keep doing this, and then I only get a couple hours of sleep, and then the next day I was somewhat groggy, and tried to not have class or meetings before 10 a.m., but there was definitely some classes I may have missed, and probably what's even worse, there are probably some lectures where I was a TA, and probably, I I wasn't the one lecturing, but I should have probably been present that I missed. (laughs) And 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 these were classes that, I, yeah, I really should have been there, <laughs> but I had a lot of fun. And at the end of the day, again looking back at it a couple of years later, hopefully none of my students are like, oh man, that's why he was such a bad TA. <laughs> but um, well, one of my students now plays D and D with me, so that's fine. <laughs> which is yeah, which is what those board games turned into.
0: Is that on another team?
1: No, it's Mark.
0: Like, oh, it's Mark. Oh, okay. Full disclosure, Sergey and I play D&D together. That's how we know each other. So can you tell me a little bit about how you got into D&D?
1: Yeah. So this is a fun story. So it started with uh, that one roommate that started bringing up board games, and he was on the fencing team at UC Berkeley, and somewhat creepily really liked to hang out with all the undergrads, which included Megan at the time. Um, and they... Decided. I'm not sure how, but they all decided to try playing D and D.
0: Side note. I'm not gonna deny that it was creepy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> um. <laughs> so um, they were playing, and a couple of the sessions they had at our house because we had some space in the, in the kitchen or the kitchen. Some. Yeah, it was the kitchen. I think. Yeah, we had a big table, and uh, so they came up for play, and. I had only heard of Dungeons & Dragons through, I think, yeah, just media in general, but more like sitcom media as a quick passing thing that's really funny to make fun of nerds for.
0: Oh, wait, Sergei, can you explain what D&D is?
1: I sure can, Megan.
0: <laughs> cool.
1: Um, give me, uh, yeah. So what is uh, Dungeons & Dragons? Dungeons & Dragons is a tabletop role-playing game. I feel like it's a very big community. So my definition or explanation might not do it justice, but really what it means is that people get together with a rough set of rules and play out sort of a fantasy of one sort or another. This, this is starting to sound like an adult game. It's not, <laughs> although I guess it could be, it's not a, when I play it. <laughs> Um, But a a group of like-minded individuals with constant consent get together (laughs) um, and play mostly just characters that they create or anybody that they, they, they sort of inhabit the person and play as them in a world. And one of the people at the table is called the Dungeon Master, or the Game Master, who helps create and shape the rest of the world. So the game is played through interaction between the players and the Game Master, where the Game Master describes something happening in the world. The players describe how their characters uh, react or act to what is happening, um, what they want to do, how they want to do it. And there's a set of rules that helps you decide how that happens in game mechanically, usually by virtue of a die roll to create some kind of probability of this is successful or unsuccessful. So, you know, you used to start from something as simple as, oh, there's a monster in front of me and I have a sword and I'm a hero and I want to defeat this monster, I'd like to attack it. And I roll some probability that I, I'm able to hit it. And the, the game master describes how you've done it and you've attacked the monster and you've defeated him when the monster escaped to um, the really more interesting aspects of Duchess of Dragons, which is just, talking to another person across the table as a character, and they are themselves a different character, very much improvising kind of, something you would see maybe in an improv class even, right? Like an interaction that could be funny or serious, um, romantic or exciting or really like deep and psychological. You can can make it whatever you want it to be. So that's the appeal, Dungeons Dragons. I'm really jumping ahead of how I feel about now.
0: Uh, Which is that, yeah. Wait, wait, side side question. What was your favorite character?
1: You know what's funny? My favorite character is still my first character, which is not the type of character I would play right now, but I think it's my favorite character because of how, uh, of my characters, because of how he made me feel, like discovering the game. (laughs) And so um, I started out, with this approach of like, hey, I'm gonna be a dark hero that's gonna just like be a badass and beat everybody. And the very first session, I don't know if Megan remembers, I said like, oh yeah, you know, I'm playing a game. I'm gonna attack this person. And maybe I think I I killed somebody that I thought it was okay to kill. And everybody else at the table was like, whoa, (laughs) you just hurt this human being. Um, I think they were human. Uh, And I was like, oh, this is different. <laughs> and, and that exploration of just like what it meant to really have a very open experience, a, a very open way of role-playing. Yeah. Like that exploration with my character. So that's why I really like that character because the character changed and definitely how I you know, reacted and played d and changed. And then that was really exciting for me.
0: Cool. Let's rewind a little bit. I, I think I <laughs> distracted you. You were uh, in the middle of it, a thought, if you can remember it.
1: I think i was describing dungeons and dragons in 55 minutes or less <laughs> <laughs> so i think that's that's about the, the premise of dungeons and dragons really at the end of the day it's a kind of a choose your own adventure novel where everybody at the table is the author
0: okay so i think earlier we were talking about how D found you do you want to just continue that yeah. story
1: yes so um My roommate invited his friends who were all playing together uh, to come play and they hung around at our kitchen table and I came out of my room and I listened to them play for a little while. And uh, it was very new and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. I had always enjoyed reading fantasy and this was a fantasy type story. And they were all laughing very hard. They were all staying up till 2 a.m. So it must be at least as interesting as Risk. And (laughs) I, I was like, oh, you know, I'd like to like figure out kind of what's going on um, but i didn't want to interrupt the play so i asked my roommate later and he's like here here's you know four books of rules <laughs> which for those of you that play this was back at 3.5 days so four books meant that it was about three quarters of a percent of all the rules out there but uh, i was like oh okay that that's a lot and then he was like well why don't you just join us which i think he asked me he told me to join before he even asked the rest of the group if it was okay. But,
0: I think that's right.
1: Yeah. Luckily they, they were like, what?
0: Oh, okay, sure.
1: <laughs> well, they couldn't do anything. It was kind of my house too. So, you know, if they mm-hmm. want the table. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's how D&D really found me. It, it showed up in my home and I saw it happening and I was I wanted to give it a little try.
0: So I feel like you've already answered this for your cycling. Um, But Mm -hmm. is there any point in time where D&D positively affected your grad work, or gaming in general positively affected your grad work?
1: I'll be entirely honest, probably not positively. (laughs) You know, it was a time sink, which I do not regret by any means. It It was kind of that, the other thing to do. I think that the main appeal of kind of all hobbies in grad school is that grad school, if you let it, can be almost all consuming. There's never a time when work is finished. There's always more work to do. There's never a time where you don't feel pressure to keep going, whether it's internal or external. There's never a time when you look, feel like, oh man, I'm, I'm not good enough for this. I, I can't make it. And so it provided, and with d and a little more differently than uh, cycling in that it provided a social circle for me to get away from that, to you know, find people that I could interact with that weren't necessarily all scientists, They weren't all in grad school, that, which is hard to do, I think, if you're spending 60, 70 hours uh, a week in lab, and the other 40 hours sleeping because you don't <laughs> get enough sleep. So that, that's, that's what it kind of did for me, and it helped me adjust myself, both like creating a s- circumstances to be social with others, and also just a, a way to escape everything that is grad school.
0: I think that's going to be the episode title.
1: a way to escape everything that is grad school yeah would you like me to say it more in in different ways should we do a couple takes
0: no no i think escape everything
1: that is grad school (laughs) this summer (laughs) as you can tell five or whatever however many years of D &D and i still can't do voices very well
0: Uh, you're okay you're better (laughs) than me
1: (laughs) i think your accents are really on point
0: they the issue with my accents is they shift from russian to southern and then to nothing (laughs) well that's
1: fine that's just your character they're a southern russian nothingness
0: yeah okay um one more question and then uh, we can wrap up so since graduating are you still actively participating in either of your hobbies
1: Yes, as Megan can attest, definitely we still play D&D. It's still mostly the same group that I started with and she played with. There have been shifts. People have moved in, people have moved out. We meet very irregularly now because... People have lives and we're probably as much as 40 miles apart from each other, but that's still very much a part of my life. Cycling to a different extent, yes, kind of on and off as I moved and had opportunities to do it and had places where it was a bit harder. But yes, both of those things definitely stayed with me and I'm really happy to keep doing them and I'm really happy that I got a chance to explore them in grad school because the other side of grad school is aside from everything that it is all encompassing, is that there's actually not that much else, at least in my case, definitely not for everybody, but in my case, there wasn't that much else that was going on. I had just enough money to get by, but not so much money that I could do other things. So (laughs) there wasn't much to do. There was just school and work. And you could do as much or as little of it in a way as you wanted, you know, within reason. So it left me with kind of time to explore new things and then figure stuff out. And so I'm glad the things I figured out stayed with me.
0: Cool. All right. I'm going to stop recording. Thank you.
1: Great. Well, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to our ongoing series on life balance. Next week, we interview Andrilla Mukhopadhyay, who tells her grad story through the lens of her side passion for art. Special thanks to Sam Crow for editing this episode. And thanks, of course, to our listeners who continue to support this podcast. If you like listening to us and the stories we tell, share us with your friends and send some love to us on Twitter at ScienceBirdies.